Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And to find out the broadcast schedule that we have on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit us at www.exxon.com xzbn.net and for the all new Simul Radio Broadcast Network www.simulradio.ca My guest this hour Exonation is Paul Rimosh. Uh, he graduated from uh, Weber State University in Ogden, Utah with a bachelor's degree in forensic science and a minor in photography. He has worked as a crime scene investigator for Weber Metro CSI for the past 21 years and is a three-time recipient of the Weber County Sheriff's Office Medal of Merit. Congratulations, Paul, for that, and thank you for your service. Um, Paul has certification through the International Association for Investigators in Latent Fingerprint Examination and Forensic Photography. He is the Utah representative on the Western Identification Network Latent Fingerprint Committee. Paul's first novel, the Lost Stones was published in 2011, followed by a sequel, The Lost Mine, in 2015. Paul has also published scientific papers in the Journal of Forensic Identification and Ancient American magazine and is also a contributing writer to KSL.com. He is an adjunct professor at Weber State University and is active in the training of law enforcement officers and crime scene investigators. To find out more about Paul, visit him on Facebook simply by going facebook.com forward slash the lost mine. First of all, Paul, thank you for being on the show. And uh, once again, thank you for your service to your community and your country. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so grateful that you guys reached out to have me come on. This is awesome. Well, you know, as, as a former police officer myself, I, I appreciate the hard work that the forensic teams do. And I think that in many cases, they are the unsung heroes of a of a successful conclusion to a case where the evidence is acquired that, you know, puts the bad guy away. Yeah, they, they really are. And I, I guess that's uh, universal in Canada and yep. the U.S. as well. <laughs> a lot of times we'll, uh, we'll provide the crucial piece of evidence that uh, solves a, a robbery or some big crime like that. And then they uh, pass out awards to all the detectives and police officers who work the case, and they typically forget the forensic people. <laughs> yeah, well... So, yeah, unsung, that, that describes it pretty well. Paul, how did you get interested in this subject of lost history and the Aztec and Montezuma's lost treasure? Well, I, that's, a, that's a good question, and I can trace it to my time as a young man as a Boy Scout. And so um, many of the many of the campouts that we went on were in what are called the Uinta Mountains. And if you can imagine how the, the shape of the state of Utah, it looks like kind of a chair, that there's a flat area, you know, it goes up and then it goes down, there's a flat area, and then it goes a long way down. So the Uinta Mountains run kind of along the seat of that flat area of Utah. And unlike most of the mountain ranges here, they run east to west rather than north to south. 
Anyway, so in, in those mountains on those camp trips, I had a scoutmaster named Larry, and he would tell us stories of the lost gold mines in the Uinta Mountains and how the, the Ute Native American tribe was mm-hmm. guarding it, and he told us all these stories, and I just fell in love with that topic. I thought it was the coolest thing, and so I've just really read a lot on it and studied it and researched it, and the the fruit of that research really led to my novel, The Lost Mine, but it's just an endlessly fascinating topic. How does the discovery of the ancient casino in Utah relate to the previous research uh, dealing with the um, the lost history of the Aztecs? Uh, well, there. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting little piece that um, fits in the puzzle, and so mm-hmm. I'll just kind of back up a little bit. Okay, please. Off of that, and talk about you know what what Montezuma's lost treasure is, and how that all fits in. And so, um, if the Aztec Empire was invaded by the Spanish in 1519, about, and Cortez, the conquistador, went after the Aztecs with a vengeance because he knew that they had lots of gold. Mm -hmm. And if anyone knows their history, the Spanish conquistadors were, they were just thirsty and lusting after gold. And so they were, they had taken over the, uh, the capital of the Aztec empire and they were searching for gold, but Montezuma had kind of figured out what they were after and he had hidden lots of his treasure, his gold and all these precious things in some vaults under the city. And some of the Spanish conquistadors saw these vaults and recorded it in their writings. And so who knows what this treasure's worth? I mean, it could be worth billions today. There's, there's gold and precious jewels and possibly records and just amazing things down there that Montezuma hid. Well, Cortez was going to find this no matter what, but he had a problem. When he was looking for it and probably would have found it soon, another Spanish conquistador invaded Mexico to try to steal Mexico from Cortez. So he had to leave the Aztecs to go fight this other conquistador. And in this lull, when the Spanish left, the Aztecs, According to, according to legend and according to what a lot of people have written, they sent um, 1,000 porters, all carrying all that they could carry of this treasure. They sent it north to the land of their ancestors. They, the, the trail that they went up to north was, they called it the trail of the old ones or the trail of their ancestors. And these 1,000 porters took the treasure and disappeared north. And so by the time Cortez got back, these hidden vaults under the city were empty and you know there was still some gold and there was a horrible genocide of the Aztecs as um, Cortez and the Spanish you know took what they could from it and so this this treasure really has disappeared into the mists of time and the Spanish went looking forward and they went up this trail and this trail became what is called in some some of the books and some of the researchers as the Old Spanish Trail. It's the trail that the Spanish followed up from Mexico into the mainland of the U.S., and they had mines up there, they enslaved the indigenous people, and they did all these things, but they never could find Montezuma's treasure. And so some people even think that it's a myth, but... There's some good information out there that says it's not. But how, how the, uh, the finding of the ancient casino, how that all fits into it, is the Aztecs, even though we think of them as an ancient civilization, and, and of course they were, they really don't go back far into the mists of time. In fact, Oxford University in England is actually older wow. than the Aztec Empire. That Oxford was first founded, they started teaching in 1096, and it became a university in 1249, but the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan was founded in 1325. So, you know, even though we think of them as ancient, they really have kind of a historical founding. The, the question, however, is, is where did the Aztecs come from? 
So even the mainstream archaeologists and, and scholars know that they didn't come from Mexico or present-day Mexico, that they came from somewhere up north, and they started to wind up in Mexico, or what we know as Mexico today, around the 1100s, and they wandered around a little bit and finally founded their capital in 1325. So the question is, where did the Aztec come, come from? Now, there are some tantalizing clues. If you ask the Aztec themselves, as the Spanish did, where did you come from? Mm -hmm. They said, well, we didn't come from here. We came from a land up north. And the, we came from an island that was called Azatlan. And so that, that's a tantalizing clue. Some people, or a lot of people, have speculated where Azatlan is. Um, the, the name sounds somewhat familiar or somewhat similar to Atlantis. And so yes. some people have speculate, speculated that they're survivors from Atlantis. You know, so there's, there's lots of different conjecture on that. But if you look at the word Azatlan, in the Aztec language, it has two meanings. And one of the meanings is a land of whiteness. And the other meaning that it could be is the land of herons, the bird, the sure. water bird heron. And so that has made people speculate about whether the Aztecs came from what is the Great Basin and most of the, or big chunk of the Great Basin is in present-day Utah, and specifically the Great Salt Lake and what we call now Antelope Island. Now, the reason that speculation I hate to do exists, this to you. I hate to do this to you. We're going to have to have oh. a little bit of a cliffhanger here because I've got to take my okay. break here, so please stand by. Exonation, my guest this hour is Paul Rimosh, and Paul and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue this fascinating story here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo-TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. We live in rapidly shifting times of extreme volatility and uncertainty. Such profound change brings a unique opportunity for the evolution of consciousness. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of Mission Evolution Radio Show, a program that explores the latest scientific developments and deepening spiritual truths supporting human evolution. Join me on xzbn.net, where I interview leading experts in science, physics, medicine, spirituality, and more. 
By applying divergent viewpoints to leading-edge topics, we uncover expansive and evolutionary truth to assist you on your path to enlightenment. More information and past episodes are available at missionevolution.org. Explanation. Uh, Paul Rimosh is our uh, special guest this hour. We're talking about the lost mine. And when it comes to ancient mysteries or ancient America, ancient anything, I, I just love these kind of guests who come on the show, and they've done a considerable amount of research. They are putting the pieces together of the great jigsaw puzzle that we call ancient times. And... More times than enough, the ancient pieces that they come up with uh, with, a, with a total jigsaw puzzle differs from the way it is taught. And I'll give you the perfect example when we talk about Christopher Columbus discovering the Americas. Well, he really did discover them. You know, you had the Vikings, you had the Irish uh, monks. Mind you, the Irish monks got drunk one night at a pub and started rowing and they ended up in America somewhere. But truth is stranger than fiction. And uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. So please continue this, uh, this amazing story about uh, the lost mine. Okay, as, as we were describing before the break, mm-hmm. that there's some indication that the Aztec originated from what is now Utah and the Great Basin. Right. And specifically the area of the Great Salt Lake and the... Uh, Antelope Island. So, um, as I was talking about, the the meaning of the word Azatlan, the island that the Aztecs said that they came from, was the land of whiteness, or it could also be interpreted as the land of herons. Well, if you go to the Great Salt Lake, all around the Great Salt Lake are vast um, white salt flats. And, you know, probably most people have heard of the Bonneville Salt Flats, where they have races, they filmed lots of movies there. But all around the Great Salt Lake, there are just miles and miles of salt flats, and they are white. They're very white. And also, the Great Salt Lake, even though it's a very salty lake and nothing can really live in the water except for one little weird creature called a brine shrimp, um, all all the rivers in the Great Basin roll into the Great Salt Lake. So on the perimeter of the lake, there are very lush wetlands where the, like where the Weber River and the Bear River and different rivers flow into the Great Salt Lake. And so there are enormous populations of waterfowl there, including herons. There's a very large nesting population of herons. So the Great Salt Lake fits the entomology of that name in two, you get two out of two on that. Mm-hmm. And the other link that's so interesting between the Aztecs and the Great Basin is a language link. So one of the major tribes of Native Americans in Utah are the Utes. And that's where Utah gets its name from, from the Ute tribe. Very, very important tribe, very wonderful people. They still have a large reservation by the Uinta Mountains and just great people. And so, but the language that they spoke, the Ute language, was very, very similar to the language of the Aztecs. And the language of the Aztecs was called Nahuatl. I'm probably saying that wrong. I apologize to any Spanish speakers out there. But the, the language that they spoke, what the Aztecs spoke, is extremely related to the language that the Ute spoke. In fact, it was similar enough that many people speculated that they could have understood each other, like German and Dutch. It's different, but if you speak German and you listen to Dutch, you can pick out a lot of it. So that's some of the speculation. So we have these three links. Now, the question you asked about the ancient casino, this was a very interesting story that came out a few years ago, and I just saw it on the the internet, but there was multiple sources of it. And I, I think the mainstream media picked on to it because it kind of had a catchy a catchy premise and sure. you know the the headlines were ancient casino found in by the great salt lake and so what it 
wasn't really a casino in, in the sense that we think of casino. There weren't roulette tables and, and lounge singers and things like that. What they found, though, is in these caves that had been linked to the promontory culture, there were hundreds of reeds that were split in half and had notches. Um, various numbers of notches on these different reeds, some on the inside, some on the out, mm -hmm. some were straight, some were slanted, just a lot of different notches on there. And they figured that these reeds with the notches on them were a primitive form of dice. Oh. And they speculated that they, were, they used them for low-stakes low gambling. And what's interesting, though, is the culture that they're linked to, the promontory culture, is very mysterious, and it's little understood. The, some of the tribes um, that were living in Utah around the same time had been here longer and were still here when the European settlers came, uh, like the Fremont and the Paiute and the Ute. But these, the promontory culture is mysterious. It seems to have kind of come into Utah and then eventually gone away. And about the same time, so the, they, the, the promontory culture is starting to diminish in the archaeological record about the same time that the Aztec are starting to end up in Mexico. But, you know, that alone, you know, the timing is, is difficult with things like that. But the, the interesting link is, is that in, um, in the records of the Spanish, they talked about the, the games that the Aztecs used to play. There was one friar um, named Duran who were so, so grateful for him because while so many of his Spanish brethren were trying to destroy the Aztecs and their records and their culture, he was trying to write down and capture as much as he could. And we're, history is so lucky and so grateful to Duran. But he talked about the everyday lifestyle and habits of the Aztec. And he described that they loved to gamble. And their favorite game that he said that they played was called Patoli, and it was played with beans on like an X-shaped uh, game board, and they would gamble with that, and that was their favorite game. But there was another game that he mentioned that he didn't name it, but he said it was played with reeds that were split in half and had notches on them. But he just barely mentioned it and uh, never you know, talked about it again. Well, it turns out that this game with the X-shaped board that they all loved wasn't an Aztec game. It was something that they had assimilated from the Mayan when they had taken over Mexico. So it wasn't an original Aztec game. But later, in the 1920s, this is kind of a long story. But it's, in, all, it's all in right. 19, it's interesting. In, okay, good. <laughs> I don't want to bore everybody. You're not. So, believe me. Oh, good. So in the 1920s, there was a, a, a Mexican... Um, anthropologist who was studying the very indigenous people of Mexico. These were the closest living relatives to the Aztec. They spoke the Nahuatl language. They had these direct ties with the Aztec. Well, their favorite game was called, he called it Petol, and he drew little pictures of it, and sure enough, it was split reeds with incisions, some vertical, some slanted, and if you look at his drawings of these Petol pieces, they're almost identical to the ones that were recovered in the ancient casino in Utah about three years ago. And um, so there's, there's this other link that it's, it's a physical connection. It's not just speculation or the meaning of a word. There's this link that the Aztecs loved to play this game, and pieces of this game were found in the Great Basin. So, am I correct in trying to put all the pieces of this jigsaw puzzle that the, the Aztecs were actually early Americans? Yes. Yes, very much so. That's what I would think. And, and, and mainstream scholars will, will kind of concede that to a certain extent. They'll say, well, yes, they didn't come from Mexico. They came from somewhere up north. and So they won't go as far to say what you just said, but they... They can't say that they came from Mexico, and it's it's better evidence that they came from North America. Why is it that members of academia are so reluctant to say, well, you know what? 
based on the evidence or based on the information or the research that we had done at one time, this is where we thought the Aztecs were originally from. However, look at the great work that other people have done, including Paul uh, Rimosh, that we now know that the Aztecs were actually Americans. Why, why don't they just come clean? Well, I think there's lots of reasons, and the, the topics that you cover, I'm sure you run into that question every time. <laughs> if you're talking about ghosts oh, or sure. UFOs or whatever, you, you run into the, this problem every time. I think it comes from a concept that's called anchoring. And so we, and, and this is this is an interesting an interesting side thing that I've thought a lot about. All right, so, why don't we why don't we do this? When we come back from this news break that I have to take right now, let's talk about anchoring because can you imagine these scholars who do anchoring as criminal investigators? No crimes would no. get would get solved. Thank God you're That's there right. for us, I was going to talk about the different ways that we have to think about it, the, the different ways we approach yeah. things to the mainstream. All right, stand by, my friend. You and I will be back on the other side of this news break. Exonation, my guest this hour is Paul Rimosh and uh, his website. Just, just go to Facebook and type in The Lost Mine. Interesting. There you go. I think that now that we know that the Aztecs were ancient Americans, we should just say, hey, Mexico, you're ours. No? <laughs> All right, we'll leave that for President Trump. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist, 
facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back, everyone. Paul Rimosh is our special guest. Uh, to find out all about Paul, all you have to do is just go to his Facebook page at The Lost Mine. Paul, before we went to the break, we were talking about anchoring, and um, let's get into that. Okay, I would I'd love to, because it's, it's a fascinating subject for me, because it, it is, it, we as crime scene investigators can't afford anchoring at all. So right. what anchoring is if your guests aren't familiar with it, is when the, the normal scientific method that is pushed in schools and universities or whatever is that you first have a theory, and then you want to test that theory by collecting evidence, and you look at things and do experimentation and tests, and then if you prove that theory to be correct, then you have arrived at truth. And that's the way academicians and, and like I said in schools I mean the science fair the science fairs that my kids used to do they were you know this this approach was really pushed and the trouble with that is that if and this is a this is a known concept and it's a, it's a logical fallacy yeah. one of the logical fallacies that if you've spent so much time and effort and built your reputation and published your PhD thesis and all these things on this theory you become anchored to it and in a lot of times, that first theory that you have is the one that you cling to, and you can tend to kind of ignore other evidence that might say that that first theory is not correct if you're anchored to it. Well, as you perfectly, rightly, 100% said, a, a criminal investigator or a forensic scientist, we cannot approach a problem that way. We approach a problem from a more bottom-up approach, where yes. you go into a situation and you don't really have an opinion right away. You know, you walk into a crime scene and you don't want a theory right away. You, you don't want it. And, and a lot of investigators don't even want to hear what the supposed story was. That's right. I'm a little different. I like to kind of know what, what's being said, mm -hmm. so I have a starting point. But some people don't even want to know. I know some investigators who are like, don't tell me what happened, just let me at it and I'll figure it out. And so when you go into a situation like that, you start to look and you start to, oh, this happened, and, and you start to form, you know, little, little theories and you test them against each other. And, and after a while, you build and build and build, and then you come to your final conclusion. And so at no point in that process, and it's called induction or inductive reasoning. No point in that process are you really married to any one theory. You're like, okay, well, this maybe is going on. Nope, let's get rid of that. And, and the, the master of it, the, the guy who trained me, my mentor, his name is Russ Dean, and he still teaches up at Weber State University. He's one of their professors up there in the forensics department. He was the master of that. He didn't even have little working theories. He would go in, he would look, he would just think, and we would talk and talk and talk. And then at the end, he would decide what he thought happened, and the dude was never wrong in the many years that I worked with him. And that's, so that's how I learned to think. And so that's how I've approached some of these research topics as well. I don't go in with a preconceived notion. I just start to read and study and look at this, and try this and this and this and this, and then at the end, I come to my conclusion. But that's the honest approach. Right. And, but when academia does not take that approach and they 
they are so anchored in their own uh, theses, they are doing more harm than good. And by doing that, they are doing the exact opposite of what they should be doing as, as members of academia. Right, because they, they say, you know, that, that they are out there to find the truth and, in fact, and all these things. But, yeah, they, anchoring is a real serious problem. And one, one of the articles, my first article I wrote for Ancient America was, was, was all about that, because there are petroglyphs mm-hmm. in the state of Utah and all over the Four Corners area um, that depict, you look at it and you see an elephant right. or a mastodon mm-hmm. or a mammoth. It just it looks like this elephant. And you read in the books and they say, well, these, these petroglyphs, we date them at about 2,000 years ago. And, you know, because they have this amount of, of weathering and they're this style. And so they're going through and they're talking about how they've dated these petroglyphs. And then they come to these elephant petroglyphs that are in the same style, they have the exact same weathering, and they're, they're in context with the other petroglyphs and everything. And they'll look at that and say, oh, well, we know that there weren't any elephants <laughs> in America 2,000 years ago. So this must be a historical petroglyph. And you're like, wait a minute. You just said it had the same style, and it had the same weathering, and it fits in context with the whole mural but then because you, you know from some other source, however that is, that there weren't elephants, then you're going to just say that someone in modern times went to the zoo and saw an elephant and came and matched the weathering and the style and the context and everything. It's just, I, I just read that and I'm like, what? <laughs> How can you say that? <laughs> it, it, I don't know, it boggles the mind. And, and, if, and if, we, if we as forensic scientists operated like that, you, we would make tons of mistakes you it would be uh, just a disaster if we employed that line of thinking or as the population would call it a travesty of justice yes indeed so so how can so. we change this or how do how do you or and the other people including uh, as i was mentioning uh, frank joseph how do you guys go about setting the record straight what what would be what would be the harm to have the truth taught compared to what those anchored in academia are teaching? Well, I slowly but surely, and, and programs like your own are, are raising the consciousness of people, I think slowly but surely some of these shackles are mm-hmm. starting to fall. And, you know, when, when you say what harm is caused, I think it has to do with pride or livelihood. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of professors, a lot of PhDs have published on these certain topics, and they've made their name, it's their, their niche, and it's just out of self-preservation. If they were wrong all along, and some new evidence comes along, they're essentially no longer relevant. But doesn't that mean the and, entire system is complicit? Yeah, in a way. Like, and it's funny, you... if. You know, you you read certain accounts and, you know, all the articles in Ancient America magazine. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a lot of instances where where academics know that something's wrong, but they're not going to admit it. Like, they, they talk about it amongst themselves with certain topics, but they don't really let it out to the public. So, I don't, I don't know. It, it, is a, it is an interesting topic. Um, I don't know if you have read a book called Darwin's Doubt. And, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember the author now. But know, it's about, it's challenging evolution. Yes, I, oh, I, I've got the book somewhere here in my office. We've had okay. the author on the show. Okay, it, it, it's a brilliant book. If, if, anyone has, you know, if anyone wants to learn about evolution and what it's really all about, that book is amazing. And, and in it, the author talks about the fact that most Molecular biologists and most people who study evolution know that Darwin's theory doesn't work. And there's even kind of secret meetings that they've had in in the field where they discuss that this doesn't work. By the way, Darwin's doubt was written by Stephen Mayer. 
Okay, that's right. Yeah. And so, um, great guy. I bet he was a great interview. He was. He was. I've heard some of his interviews, too. Brilliant, brilliant man. But so he talks about these secret meetings that are had amongst experts in the field where they say, no, this doesn't really work, and there's problems with this, and, and something's going on, but they aren't going to tell that to the public. But you know, here, when you go up to biology, show up to biology 101 at college. But these are Darwin, the same Darwin, people. Darwin, Darwin, Darwin. These are the same people who are crying that the secret societies have hidden information when they themselves are now the secret societies. In a way, yeah. yeah. Indeed. It's mind-boggling. Yep. So we just keep chipping away at it and do the best we can. <laughs> One of the uh, one of the stories that I remember covering years ago. I've been doing this show for twenty eight years, five nights a week, four guests a night. So sometimes my guest list in my mind is a little fuzzy. But I think it was about twenty years ago we did a story on the Egyptian artifacts found in the Grand Canyon. Yes. I I was. Yes, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I do. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I deal with that in my first book, The Lost Stones, because <laughs> that, that's a fascinating subject. Well, let's talk about that when we come back for our final segment. Uh, this has been truly a great talking to you, and thank you so much for sharing this information with the Exo Nation tonight, Paul. My pleasure. Stand by, sir, and uh, Exo Nation. This is fact. This is not fiction. You know, we talk about UFOs, eh. we talk about ghosts, eh. We talk about Bigfoot, chemtrails, government conspiracies, cover-ups, and I go, eh. These are the facts. And as Joe Friday would say, just the facts, ma'am. And yep. uh, we're going to be coming back on the other side of this, uh, this break with more facts, more surprises. And you're going to be saying to yourself and to your friends, no way. In fact, tomorrow around the office cooler, before you go away for the weekend, you're going to be saying, hey, listen, no, I listened to that that excellent show with that guy McConnell from Hamilton, Ontario, wherever the hell that is. This is what I heard. That's right. Because this is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. This is truly Reality Radio here in the Exxon. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com.
concept of a new age has been around since the late 19th century, yet much of its original meaning has been lost. What exactly is the new age? Is it a religion? A collection of obscure esoteric practices? A series of doomsday predictions? Or an astrological event? The New Age Chronicles is a unique, complimentary publication bringing reason and grounded information to separate fact from fiction. Chuck full of valuable information to support you as we make the monumental shift into the new era. You won't want to miss a single innovative issue. The New Age Chronicles newspaper is coming soon to www.newagechronicles.com. Paul Rimash is our special guest this hour, Explanation, and to find out all about Paul, visit his Facebook page, The Lost Mine. Or you can uh, check out Ancient American Magazine. There's an article or two there by Paul. And, of course, uh, their website is ancientamerican.com. Paul, let's talk about those artifacts found in the Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's one of the most fascinating tales really out there because as it sounds like you've had a guest that talked about it on your show before, but yeah. in, in the very early 1900s, there was an article in an Arizona newspaper that very matter-of-factly described an expedition that the Smithsonian Institution had embarked upon in the Grand Canyon. And when they were there, they found a cave kind of high up on the cliff face, and they went in, and it was this network of tunnels dug out of the living rock, and inside there were Egyptian-type artifacts. There were even some that looked um, like from the Far East, like even Buddhist things. And there was just all these amazing things in there. And it, like I said, it was presented just very matter-of-factly in the newspaper. Well, it kind of vanished from... The, uh, the awareness, and anybody who goes and tries to talk to the Smithsonian about it now, they deny it ever happened. They say it was just fake news, using the, uh, the uh, term of the, of the day. And even though they had specific names and all these things, the Smithsonian denied, denied, denied. Wow. Once, once again... I, I I have to say, why not investigate these facts? Whether you're anchored or not, the public, the world, humanity deserves to know the truth. Now, many of the ancient philosophical and religious books talk about, you know, Noah's Ark, the Great Flood, the creation of the heavens and earth. We talk about Atlantis. We can talk about those. But when it comes to cases like the Aztecs being from Utah or the the uh, Egyptian artifacts found in the Grand Canyon, why suppress it? So you're wrong. Well, Big deal. You're wrong. Right, and write a new paper. Exactly. <laughs> well, what, one, of, one of the most, this, this is the most astounding clue about Montezuma's lost treasure that I'm about to tell you. And this this was... You know, the Montezuma's Lost Treasure is consigned to myth and folklore and things like this, but there's a tantalizing link that was very well documented. And this is probably the wildest part of this whole story. So there was a Ute Indian chief, or he was the, the son of a chief in Utah before the settlers came, and his name was Iron Twister. And one day he went up to the Uinta Mountains to have a sort of a spirit quest. He wanted to know what his destiny was. Well, he goes up to a place called Spirit Lake, mm-hmm. which you can still visit. We know where Spirit Lake is. And he was sitting up on a, an overlook above it. He was chanting. He was praying. And while he did this, he had a vision. So the great spirit came to him and said, Your name is no longer Iron Twister, but your name is now Yakera, and Yakera means keeper 
of the yellow metal. And so what, me- what metal is yellow? Gold. So, gold, right? And so, but no, that's not all the great spirit told him. He said, okay, and I'm going to show you where this treasure, this yellow metal is hidden. And also with the yellow metal is also the relics of your ancestors. And so he showed him in a vision the place in the mountains where this was hidden. Mm-hmm. And then he told him, the great spirit told Yakara that he was to keep this secret from everyone except for a people that were going to come later to his land, and he called them the high hats. So high hats. And so he had this vision and he wasn't really sure what it meant, but he knew where this gold was, he knew where these relics of his ancestors were and, and he went on from that. So Anyway, people started to come, you know, people of European descent started to come into Utah, and first came the Spanish priests, and he wondered if those were the people he was supposed to show the secret to, but then he saw that they were kind of greedy, and they didn't treat his people very well, and so he's like, no, they're, they're not the ones I'm supposed to show the secret to. Well, then the mountain men started to come in, looking for beaver pelts and and furs and things like that. And he talked to them a little bit about gold, and they didn't care about gold. They just cared about furs. So anyway, he he became kind of frustrated. He didn't know who he was supposed to share this secret with. Well, one day in about 1843, he, he became so sick that everyone thought he was dead. Well, when he was sick, the Great Spirit came to him again in a vision and took him high above the plains and showed him a wagon train. And he said, those are the people that you were supposed to share the secret with. And he showed him one specific man in the wagon train and said, you are supposed to tell the secret of the yellow metal and the treasures of your ancestors to this guy right here. Well, he wakes up from, he wakes up from his, his illness, everyone's surprised, and now he knows what he's supposed to do. Well, just a few years later, the Mormon pioneers show up in Utah. And not about two years after they arrived, um, Chief Yakara and a, and a group of his, his braves mm-hmm. march into Salt Lake City, and they want to meet with the Mormon leader, Brigham Young, and they sit down with him, and they express an interest in living peaceably with him, and they pass around a peace pipe. And when the peace pipe gets to a certain man named, his name was Isaac Morley, um, Yakara recognized him from his vision. And he said, you, I've seen you in a vision, and I have something very important to tell you. And so, as it turns out, the, they made arrangements, the, the Utes made an arrangement with the, the, the Mormon settlers that they were going to give them some gold. And so they decided on a person that both sides trusted, and he would leave Salt Lake City uh, by horseback with a team of horses. He would travel... He would be gone for two weeks, and when he would come back, he had pack horses filled with gold. And he hadn't been gone long enough to mine it himself. It, was, it had already been mined, and he just would scoop it up in bags, and he would load his horses with this. Now, this is not myth. This is documented. It's documented in the newspapers at the time that Thomas Rhodes would leave Salt Lake, Two or so weeks later, he would come back with gold. He has re- there's receipts in the Mormon Church records for their mint that they received the gold from Thomas Rhodes. These things are facts that he got this gold. Where did he get it from? <laughs> he and the speculation is because of these links for the Aztecs to the Utes that the treasure that Galcara was shown is Montezuma's lost treasure, and he gave some of it to the Mormon pioneers when they were first in Utah. Fascinating. So Montezuma's treasure was the first financier of the Mormon church. In, in a way, you could yeah. say that, because when they came here, they were destitute. Mm-hmm. You know, they had land, but they had no means to trade with the other settlers passing through, and so they really needed gold. And Some people say, some sources say, if you ever come to Salt Lake City and look up on top of the Mormon temple, there's an angel statue up there covered in gold leaf, but the gold 
that that angel statue was covered in came from these lost mines, these treasures of Montezuma. Wow. Truly fascinating. First of all, Paul, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure having you on the show. As I, as I said during the break, love to have you back on. And once again, as from one law enforcement officer to another, thank you for your service. You guys do a, a fantastic job and uh, well, repeat, well appreciated by many, many members, members of the law enforcement agencies and the family. Thank you. I appreciate that. Paul, where can our listeners uh, get copies of your books, and where can they find out more about you? So if they go to Amazon, Amazon.com has, uh, if you just search my name in there, uh, the three books will pop up. I have, I'll have to come back in a month or so, because in a month I have a book coming out that's true stories of ghost stories from cops and CSIs, weird stuff that's happened to them. That comes out next month. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll get Stephanie to contact you. We'll book you for one month from uh, whenever we can make it. And I will look forward to uh, sharing stories with you and listening and learning about your new book. And once again, I thank you so much for being on the show and uh, take care of yourself out there. Be safe. Thanks, you too. Take care. Exonation. Nation, our guest this hour has been Paul Rimosh, his website. I'm sorry, to find out more about Paul, do one of two things. First of all, his books are available on Amazon.com. Second of all, on Facebook, The Lost Mine. And you can also go to the Ancient American website and search his name. His articles will appear. And their website is www.ancientamerican.com. Com. Now, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Two quick uh, messages uh, from our publishing division. The X-Chronicles newspaper is available with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com and our brand new publication, The New Age Chronicles, at www.newagechronicles.com. I'm Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. I'll be back after this news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour. Don't go away. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com.
Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.